the first hour joining us is uh, Matt O'Brien, a director of research of uh, Federation for American Immigration Reform. He's a former assistant chief counsel with ICE. And we're going to be talking about this case of uh, a man, Jorge Garcia, 39 years old. He was a Detroit landscaper, came to this country when he was 10 years old uh, with a cousin illegally. Uh, who ultimately just uh, recently got deported from this country because he ha- was in an illegal status. And uh, joining us is Matt O'Brien. Welcome to the show, Matt. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So, Matt, we're hearing a lo- Jorge Garcia's name thrown about, bannered about in Washington as it relates to the, you know, the budget showdown and whether or not this, that, and trying to find a resolution to this. There have been public complaints that he only missed DACA status by one year, and there seems to be a lot of information out of the uh, out there that's confusing folks about the DREAM Act, DACA, and all of this, and what it actually means, and if you could help explain some of that, that would be wonderful. Sure. Well, that's the argument that he missed it by one year. When I was 15, I wanted a driver's license, but they didn't give them out in Massachusetts where I grew up until age 16. You, so missed, I had to you missed it by a year. So the DACA program was an attempt by the Obama administration to illegally and unilaterally uh, put in place a version of the DREAM Act, which was an amnesty act that had gone through Congress in several successive both Democratic and Republican administrations, and it wouldn't pass. Um, So what President Obama did was he said there's this thing in the immigration law which is called deferred action, which is an administrative device for the convenience of the government where ICE can say, you know, we're supposed to be deporting this guy, but the country that he comes from uh, is giving us problems, so we're just going to defer that action, and then we're going to deport him later when it's easier for us. So let me ask you this right there, because this is a, a, a bone of contention amongst a lot of folks. We share a coterminous boundary with Mexico. For us to deport someone from Mexico is a lot easier than, say, to Nicaragua or Guatemala or Panama or or Venezuela because we don't share that boundary, so we just can't move them right back across the border, correct? Correct. All right. I just wanted to make that point So, because a lot of folks think, well, you're picking on, on this group or that group. No. Uh, you don't get as many deferrals because it's less costly and easier to move you across the border than it is other countries. Because we can't send folks from other countries back to Mexico. they got to come from their origin country is where we send them back to, right? Correct. Okay. So prior to President Obama, this was something that was used by ICE and by Customs and Border Protection uh, to serve the interests of the United States, President Obama took this and expanded it to a group of people that had never previously received that form of relief and, and to whom Congress never intended to grant any of that kind of relief. So the program itself has been grossly mischaracterized. First of all, it's completely illegal. The president had no authority to implement it. And second of all, it doesn't confer any kind of permanent protection. Deferred action is just that. The government understands that you're here unlawfully, but for the convenience of the government, in its discretion, it's going to defer acting on that information. And it's revocable at any time by the government of the United States. And the federal courts have embraced that notion that, what President Obama did was, in fact, illegal. 
Uh, that is correct. Some of the federal courts, although as we see with Judge Alsop's decision uh, with the injunction against rescinding DACA, there are some activist judges that want to impose uh, in, in direct defiance of congressional authority their version of how this should work on the American public. Right, and they're using some loosely knitted constitutional um, overarching principle to get the bootstrap to that position, from my well, reading. It, it, exactly, it's a bootstrap. They're calling it an overarching uh, constitutional principle, but what they're really dealing with is, is a contract principle uh, called reliance, and they're saying that people are relying on the DACA program, and therefore the government has obligations before it can end it, which is a ridiculous argument. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a subjective provision, the deferral, because um, we can still deport you anytime we want, even when we grant a deferral. Correct. 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 <laughs> and when I was with ICE, I was involved in canceling people's deferred action on a number of occasions. Um, it's not atypical if you were given deferred action and then committed a crime or somehow violated the immigration laws again uh, for ICE to cancel your deferred action, put you in removal proceedings, and deport you. So, Matt, I was kind of wondering, the wife of, of Jorge, Jorge's wife, claims that their lawyer many, many years ago screwed up in filing a document with immigration. And to me, that, that's kind of a, you know, the, the telltale sign of where he screwed up was letting immigration know that he was, in fact, in this country. And that's what put him on, on the radar. Well, this is sort of a difficult uh story to, to untangle because most of the major news outlets aren't telling the whole story. So what happened with this particular individual is he claims he was brought here illegally when he was 10. Uh, he claims he filed all kinds of things, but it's not clear to me that he would have been eligible to get a green card, uh, much less to attempt to become a U.S. citizen. What we know did happen was he was ordered removed in June of 2006. He decided to challenge that case before the Board of Immigration Appeals. The Board of Immigration Appeals determined that more information was needed before a decision could be made and sent the case back to the Immigration Court for additional proceedings. And the immigration judge took a look at the situation, determined that Mr. Garcia had no relief available except for what's called voluntary departure, which is... The government says, okay, we know you're here illegally. You've acknowledged that, too. You haven't been here a long time, so we're going to let you leave, and you won't have a deportation order against you. Now, part of that Which makes it easier to come back if you so desire. Correct, to come back lawfully. And, uh, you know, this is done to kind of inject some fairness into the system, uh, particularly for people who were brought here as young people or, you know, who were visiting a relative and the relative got sick, things of that nature. Um, but part of the bargain when you do that is that you give up all appeal rights, and if you don't depart uh, in accordance with the agreement you made with the court by the time that you're supposed to leave, then you become removable without any further proceedings. And so what happened is this individual decided that he wasn't going to leave the U.S., he didn't go, and he was uh, – uh, basically found by ICE to be removable, and under the Obama administration, because President Obama didn't want to deport anyone, ICE just simply didn't execute the order because that was what the president had told them to do. Well, you know, I hear that a lot, that the Obama administration didn't want to deport anyone. That really wasn't until his second term. Uh, I mean, 
or maybe I have it backwards in his first term. In his second term, there were a lot of folks that were de- deported under the Obama administration. Well, it, it, he claims that there were a lot of people deported in in the first term. I mean, yeah, okay, I had it backwards, all right. Um, that's not completely accurate because a lot of those people were placed into proceedings and the, the uh, orders of removal were secured against them under the Bush administration. The other so prior thing, to him taking office. Correct. And, and the other thing that the Obama administration uh, did is you mentioned earlier the turnarounds with the Mexicans. So typically if you're Mexican and you're encountered near the border within a few miles and the Border Patrol apprehends you, they simply fingerprint you, photograph you, set up a record, and then put you on a bus back to Mexico. Um, those had never been counted as deportations, but the Obama administration commingled those turnarounds with standard deportations in order to bump up the numbers and make it look like they were actually deporting more people than they were. Oh, no, not another Washington, D.C. smokescreen. Don't tell, I- don't tell me that. Shocking. It's hard to believe. I know. <laughs> Matt, could you stay with us through the break? Sure, no we, problem. We appreciate it. We're, we're talking to Matt O'Brien, Director of Research, Federation for American Immigration Reform, and the former Assistant Chief Counsel with ICE, talking about the problems and the tribulations of the immigration policies and its enforcement. We'll be right back after the break. We're back. We're talking to Matt O'Brien, Director of Research, Federation for American Immigration Reform, former Assistant Chief Counsel with ICE. And we've been specifically talking about this case uh, out of Michigan, Jorge Garcia, 39-year-old Detroit landscaper who was uh, recently deported and separated from his family. His wife says, there's nothing ICE can do uh, to shut me up. I, I don't, you know, I, I get that. I understand what she's saying. Uh, it's not that I'm completely insensitive uh, to the issue, but you know, Matt, I often hear complaints. Uh, first, we get a lot of people on the text, you know, that are saying, "Oh, y'all are one-sided. Oh, you're racist." Uh, you know, the the immigration laws really don't don't pick or choose what country they are. What they are, uh, just some countries are easier to deport to than others. Correct. That, that's correct, and I mean, quite honestly, when I worked for ICE, we, we you know, only had trouble deporting people to uh, a very small number of countries that were recalcitrant because of their own political situation, like Cambodia. Um, it's a logistical challenge, but we were able to send people back to the countries where they were citizens uh, fairly easily uh, for just about everyone. So when I hear these charges of racism, they shock me because immigrants aren't a race. They come from all over the place, and I was involved in deporting people who came from England and Australia uh, almost as frequently as I was involved in in deporting people that came from Spanish-speaking countries or Portuguese-speaking countries or any other country. I was in law enforcement for 40 years prior to this gig. I was the sheriff of uh, the largest county in the state um, for 10 years. And, you know, we call them parishes down here. But, um, you know, and worked with ICE uh, extensively. Uh, in in a number of their operations, and at one point in time, we had deported more folks from our parish per capita than anywhere else in the country because we were very proactive in in dealing with that particular issue. Uh, the law is the law. I had a number of advocacy groups come in and, and wanted me to engage in selective enforcement, and I found it I was mystified by that by that mindset 
that that they would be advocating for selective enforcement uh those that are downtrodden those that are you know uh more vulnerable in in many respects uh, but by the same token is they're the ones advocating against it in so many other regards, and it just seemed to be counterintuitive to me. Well, I've always found it shocking that immigration violations, the only form of legal violation where people seem to think that the longer you get away with breaking the law, the more forgiveness you deserve. And that kind of flawed logic is never applied to any other area of the law, and people would think you were insane if you tried to apply it. Yeah, you know, it's the same thing when we arrest somebody, whether it be for shoplifting or, 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 or anything else. Uh, we're breaking families apart. We're sending people to jail. Uh, you know, and I, I just, I, 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 on the one hand, I get it, and on the other hand, I, I, I don't get it. I mean, the realities are, the practical operational realities, and you having worked in ICE, I know, are intimately aware of this, there's only so much money, and it only goes so far, so there's no way that you could deport everybody that's here illegally within 365 days, within a 10-year period, quite frankly. Uh, it's true. On the other hand, it, it kind of makes me nervous that it's become this political shibboleth that that we uh, have to accept porous borders. There's always going to be illegal immigration and that we couldn't deport all the illegal aliens that are here. The problem is we've never tried. And as you've pointed out, immigration enforcement is highly selective rather than simply enforcing the laws as they're written. Uh, we always hide behind things like priorities and resources, but while that seems to be acceptable in immigration, everyone would find it utterly shocking if the NYPD suddenly said, you know, we don't feel so strongly about jaywalking because we don't have the officers to write tickets for that, so we're just going to abandon that section of the law. Or misdemeanor theft. It's okay to steal other people's property. It's a misdemeanor. You know, we're not going to, we're just not going to enforce that. Pickpocketing. Not a big deal. We know it's out there. We've been fighting it forever in, in high traffic areas down in Times Square, but that, too many reports. We don't want to have to deal with all of that. So we're not just not going to enforce that tomorrow or the next day or the day after. And then I think the other problem is that um, people tend to think that this is somehow picking on people who have come here who are always referred to as immigrants. And, and these people aren't immigrants. They're illegal aliens. They're people who are trespassing in the United States. And when they do that, they're by definition taking jobs, using public services um, that, that – Americans have to pay for and jobs that normally would go to Americans. So there's a huge cost associated with this. Uh, we've calculated it at being uh, over $100 billion a year. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge number. The data continues to pile up. And, and when we come back out of the break, we're going to talk about the difference in these numbers of how many are in that DACA class and how many are in the Dreamer class. And, and there seems to be a lot of political posturing around uh, that issue as well. Matt, I, I appreciate you staying with us again through the break. We'll be right back. We're back, and we're talking to Matt O'Brien, Director of Research uh, for the Federation of American Immigration Reform, and he's also a former Assistant Chief Counsel with Immigration's Custom Enforcement. And, uh, Matt, you know, so we talked about this DACA really kind of being a subset of DREAMers, and we've been hearing this 800,000 number for DACA. But really, as it relates to the DREAMers, which a lot of the Democrats are, are mentioning all the time, uh, I understand that that number is significantly more. 
Uh, that's correct. So the estimation uh, for the DACAs is 800,000. Uh, there's a possibility there would actually be more people depending upon how Congress set up the program. But the DREAM Act was the act that President Obama preferred and that had been floated through Congress several times and couldn't pass. And that would approach a, a general amnesty. Um, it would give somewhere in the neighborhood of 3.2 million people amnesty. Uh, it, it's possible that's an underestimation. And then you have to take into account with both DACA and the DREAM Act, the way our immigration system works, all of the people who got lawful permanent residence under those programs would then become eligible to sponsor relatives to come here who would in turn become eligible to sponsor even more people. So when we think about, uh, well, the DREAM Act, I think, goes all the way back, is it 2002? Yes. And so, you know, it, when I, a lot of our listeners that are texting and this and that, a lot of them think that this is some new revelation. I mean, this has gone through multiple iterations, multiple, um, presidents, and they and Congress multiple sessions of Congress, and they have not been able to come to a resolution on this issue under a both Republican-controlled Congress as well as a Democratic-controlled Congress. Uh, that's correct, and I, I think the hesitancy is that the American people and the majority of legislators who are are not 100% behind amnesty as a general principle realize we did this before under Ronald Reagan in 1986 with the Immigration Reform and Control Act, and it was a disaster. It was extended by the courts umpteen times. I think the, the last version of it ended uh, sometime in the early 2000s, and a significant number of our current immigration problems are the direct result of that amnesty. So when we talk about this the political football that's going on back and forth with the budget and this DACA and DREAMers, a lot of this, the chain migration issue of being able to sponsor family members and things of that nature and, and all of the downstream implications are basically what the Democrats are asking for, and they're not willing really to accept anything less, and that's why they can't get consensus on their side of the, uh, of the aisle either on this issue because there are some that are willing to just resolve the DACA 800,000 issue, so to speak, but there are most others who want everything else included moving forward. Uh, yeah, I think that's correct. But if you look at either camp within the Democratic Party, these are people who are willing to shut down the government and harm the interests of 320 million Americans, all to benefit roughly 800,000 illegal aliens. doesn't make any sense. Well, I was going to get, that's what I keep trying to, to get to, you know. What I don't understand is, is, and you talked about it earlier, this mindset that it's okay to wink, wink as to the violation of the law in the first place by this group of folks, but yet American citizens are not given that same benefit. They're not given a, the, the second chance to violate, and there's like an amnesty of of criminal violations on the front end, you know, whether it, you categorize it as menial or, or something that, that's uh, more profound, a felony or otherwise, no one gets that benefit. 
Uh, no, it's terrible. And as a matter of fact, the net result is that you have people who are immigrants getting more due process than American citizens in our courts. There's something like 32, between 32 and 38 of the 50 states have a law that says if you're in court on a criminal case and the court doesn't inform you that there are potential immigration consequences to a plea, you can later have that conviction overturned. I, I, I wasn't even aware of that. So uh, it's so, mind-boggling. So we've carved out a whole additional protection for non-citizens. That's correct, and it's done under the theory that that there are fundamental rights and interests which are at stake, and therefore it's fair to do this. But that's looking at it backwards because traditionally the view was you're a guest in this country, you have full citizenship rights in your own country. If you're not willing to do things the American way then we are going to exercise our discretion to no longer have you as a guest in the United States. And I, and I heard uh, this congressman from down in El Paso uh, the other day talking about uh, free lawyers to to uh, attack immigration uh, in, in the proceedings, all government-sponsored, all these other programs uh, to make it harder for immigration to do their job. Um, the, you know, the... There's some days I wake up and I wonder what 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 country am I living in? I, I don't I don't I don't get this. So we have immigration laws, immigration enforcement, but we're going to provide um, people that are here illegally free lawyers being paid by the taxpayer and citizens of this country in order to fight the country. Well, here's the complete insanity. You mentioned your career in law enforcement. I come from a family of police officers, uh, mostly in the Boston area, but some in Oklahoma as well. If you're a police officer, you're given a weapon, you're told to protect the public. If you then are engaged in a violent incident, you wind up needing to hire a lawyer to protect yourself for doing your job. How about before we start giving illegal aliens free lawyers, we start giving the police officers that defend us every day free lawyers so they don't have to be subjected to this when they act in the public's best interest trying to protect the public from criminals. Well, it, it, anyone else as well. I mean, you know, I mean, we could, that, that argument could go on and on. We got to get to a break.